Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia. We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolau. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan. I'm here as always with David Scott. It's great to be back, Paul. Uh, you're back from Singapore. You have a good time? Had a very good time. Not, uh, not the uh, Verstappen fans who were sitting next to me, but uh, it was a great uh, experience again. Yeah, uh, an annual pilgrimage uh, for Scotty off to the uh, to the Grand Prix. Um, it's my my mission in life to go and uh, help Singaporean GDP. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> adding one one percentage point uh, one of a percentage point uh, uh, annually. Uh, look. Um, our guest this week uh, is uh, the Chief Investment Officer at Statewide Super, um, South Australia's Industry Super Fund. He oversees about $6 billion in assets. Uh, he's a great presence on financial Twitter, uh, talking about markets and everything else. Uh, he's also a heavy metal fan. Uh, so welcome to the show, Con Michalakis. Oh, good to be here. Thank you. So I'm just going to embarrass uh, Con really quickly, um, uh, just to talk about some of his qualifications. He's got... Um, uh, a Bachelor of Mathematical Science from the University of Adelaide, a uh, Master's in Science from the University of London, a postgrad diploma uh, in Financial Strategy um, from the Said Business School at the University of Oxford, so a highly qualified uh, individual. And he's also had a very interesting career um, between the United States, Asia, and here in Australia. So it's great to have you on the show. I was on uh, a sports scholarship, mate. That's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Dart thrower. <laughs> Dart thrower. <laughs> yeah, uh, pints and darts. Excellent. Look, um, let's hop in. Uh, the Fed this week um, was the main show. Everybody was waiting for it. Um, central banks uh, and the change in tone has been uh, the talk of markets over the last uh, six months. Uh, David, do you want to take us quickly through what happened? Well, the uh, the key thing is that they're still intending to hike. They're intending to go and hike again at the end of this year based off their uh, FOMC individual uh, member forecast and another three hikes uh, next year, which is exactly what they said back uh, when they last met in July. Um, so that was uh, a surprise to a few people who thought they may have gone and uh, lowered the median projections there for uh, for the outlook for the Fed's fund rate. Um, besides from that, they uh, when announced the uh, the runoff of their uh, balance sheet that will begin next month. Ten billion uh, in uh, treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities will go. Um, and also their economic projections. Uh, they've uh, gone and slightly lowered their expectations for unemployment. Uh, they've upped their expectations for GDP growth and only made a very small downward revision to, uh, to CPI. But probably more, in, uh, more important is that the actual revision is still higher than where it sits now. So they still see it getting back to uh, that 2% level. So this is all part of what we're talking about, this synchronized global upswing. Uh, con, uh, it uh, is when you look around the global economy, we'll talk about Australia pretty soon. But when you look around the global economy, uh, the picture's looking pretty good, right? So I reckon we're entering a period where negative real rates around the world are, are a thing of the past, right? So we're seeing central banks now talking rate hikes, be careful of the future, high interest rates. And it's global, right? Carney, Yellen. Lucy yesterday from the RBA. I mean, you are talking high rates, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, plus QT coming up. So we are entering into a period where rates are going higher 
for presumably good reasons. The world is in a better place. They're creating jobs. It, there's economic growth. But the weird factor is inflation, right? We're not seeing inflation. Where's the Phillips curves? The geeks like us are looking for that. So they're trying to solve this weird triangle of inflation output and financial stability. But they're talking a lot more financial stability, right? It's mm. like it's the elephant in the room now, right? So we're entering in this new era where rates are going to go up. Let's see how this plays out. Where rates are, are going to go up and there are vast amounts of debt, right? A lot of debt. Which has to put a break on how far rates. So slowly, slowly, but um, you know things are not linear, right? It may be the first twenty-five, fifty basis points doesn't matter, but QT plus global rate tightening, we'll see. Uh, we'll see those long duration assets how they go. So, um, how much when you're looking at um, your um, investment strategy um, at statewide? Uh, how much does um, central banking, uh, this change in central banking, factor into your thinking? A lot. Um, um, and you you can't be you can't divorce the macro. You've had you had the GFC crisis, then you had <coughs> a lot lower rates, then you had negative rates, quantitative easing one, quantitative easing two, uh, negative rates. I mean, this was a weird world, right? So what does it mean? Well, it means that people have been shifted out on the risk spectrum, people doing weird things. You had banks basically getting out of the business of lending, creating all these new vehicles to to lend. You've got ETFs out there. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not – I try not to be pes- – I'm an investor, right? So, you know, I'm always the world's – you know, how can you lose money? There's a lot of debt. How resilient is the world to higher rates? That's the big question. But the world's in a better place. Everywhere, including Australia, is creating jobs. That's a good thing. And you have to ask the question, why are rates so low? Can you have negative rates? But can the whole world have a global margin core of higher rates and how does it cope? I'm somewhat sceptical. We'll see how that plays out. So, Dave, we were just talking before we came in, um, and let's look into this. So Australia's biggest trading partner, um, you know, the world's second largest economy and arguably right now probably the most important in China. Um, they account for 23% of um, Australia's uh, trade. Um, the economy is still growing at about 7%, but um, there is this problem with the debt. There is a problem. It's, uh, you're requiring more debt to go and increase output than, uh, than the actual level of output. So um, that's deeply concerning and something that cannot go on forever. Um, and that's something that the uh, Chinese authorities have discussed at length is uh, to go and clean up the, uh, the state and enterprises who are primarily where a lot of this source of this debt is held, um, or sorry, who is, uh, who's issued this debt. Uh, but no one really knows how it's going to go and play out, which is the kind of scary thing when you're talking about an economy the size of China. You know, we're talking the second largest behind the United States, uh, one of the fastest growing in the world, and so crucial from a trade perspective. You know, when you talk about Australia's largest trading partner being China, it's China's most nations' largest trading partner. Mm. Yeah, so, and it's not just commodities, but it's also education, con, uh, Let's be honest, t- the Chinese balance sheet is long cash and long debt, really long debt, all right? They've got the cash to figure it out. What I find really funny is, you know, like we give money to fund managers and we have these managers that come in saying, oh, I really hate the Fed, really hate the Bank of England, they're screwing up capital markets, rates are low, fiscal policy is doing this. And then I go, so what do you think of China? Oh, they're really smart, they're going to sort it out. <laughs> Bollocks, right? Right. There'll be an event and then they'll step in. The idea that this great person up the top in China can pull all the levers. I don't get that. I don't believe it. I don't think they'll have a liquidity crisis. They'll probably have a balance sheet crisis, somewhat like Japan, 
where they had, you know, it, things got expensive, there's a lot of debt, and there's going to be a drawdown. What, we don't know how bad, but it's coming, I reckon. What, what about the, 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 because the, the counter to this is that you, you can't go broke owing yourself, right? So that they've, all of this debt has been issued, but it's essentially by the government to. That's right. So, so what you're going to get is you're going to get bad lending or inflated assets. You probably get a drawdown and then they'll step in to save it. But in the drawdown, someone's going to lose a ton of money, Mm. right? Who's going to lose money? We don't know. What about the state and owners? We don't know. What's off their balance sheet? We don't know. But if you're selling, if you're getting iron ore off the ground at say ten to fifteen bucks, and you're selling it in the seventies, and Scotty does that chart every day, sort of <laughs> like it's my heart palpitation. Bloody, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. And then you got the Duke and Duke Chinese Duke and Dukes trading in on the Dalian futures is actually more than the physical market, mate. It doesn't look good. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't stack. I'm skeptical. Yeah, and of course, tell me how you think because with the exposure that Australia's economy has to China. Tell me how you think about the risk to Australia from those problems that you're talking about in China. So obviously in terms of trade, uh, I just see the the uh, the Reserve Bank Governor just put out his speech in Western Australia. You know, they always talk about terms of trade. They're not dumb. They're always talking about debt. They're not dumb. They're always thinking about all these e- all, all of this stuff, right? It is it's a big deal, right? Um, if Australia has a if China has a hard landing Mate, we've fallen off the balcony pretty badly, right? It's going to be ugly. We've got our own currency. We've got um, policy levers as well. You just think the Aussie falls, right? If it's really bad, it's got a six-handle on the Aussie. If it's somewhat managed, it's probably got a seven-handle. We kind of navigate from mining to post-mining to everything else. There's also increase in the, the population Ponzi does capital go out of China? There's a lot of variables here, but you figure that it doesn't look good for Australia. You can't flick the switch from, oh, I'm relying on China to, I'm okay now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're a high beta bet on China still, somewhat. Are, are you a subscriber to this population Ponzi idea? Because David has written, I think, it quite extensively um, about some of the um, challenges that Australia, conversations Australia probably needs to have uh, nationally about the rate of population growth. Um, are you a subscriber to the idea that everything has just been fed by um, but by more people coming into the country, or uh, that a lot of the growth has been driven through that channel? I'm not a Dick Smith type, so I'm not going to sit there. And uh, But it seems to me when I mean, I'm from Adelaide, remember, top five most livable city in the world. <laughs> Sydney used to be that. But I look, at, I look at Sydney and I look at Collins Street, Melbourne, how Melbourne's number one. Sorry, Victorians, but... You know, you're offered all day on that. Um, It looks like some of the cities, the big cities, need a stent. It's clogging. The arteries are clogging. It it seems full. One moment you come from Adelaide, I would say that. Um, GDP per capita or, you know, sort of wealth created seems to a flatline. So the growth is population-based. You know, the locals are getting a bit antsy, right? That's what I'm seeing. Um, So you've got to be careful. Yeah. Dave? Oh, no, so I know some – it's a little bit dated now, but UBS uh, put out some research showing that uh, since the GFC, about two-thirds of Australian economic growth has been entirely down to population increase. So, you know, that's uh, – I know Australia's stellar growth rate and I uh, know our uninterrupted period of, uh, of without having been a recession, 26 years, we wouldn't have been that without population growth. Now, that's the same as what many countries around the world uh, – 
I think people can go and attest, especially in the larger cities, and I do frequently go back to uh, to Adelaide as well, and I love going God's back country. there. Because the space there, I, I, someone from Sydney, you know, the space in Adelaide is just absolutely beautiful. Um, but I know that a lot of people who live in Sydney and a lot of people who live in Melbourne are probably a little bit fed up with how congested things is, uh, how expensive housing is, um, no, sometimes the inability to go and get a job that you want because there's more people who are applying for that same position. These are things that all feed into, you know, you know the debate about you know, the, the relevance and you know, the necessity to have such high levels of population growth at present. Uh, look, let's be honest. Great, Australia's growing. We want the spread equally. We don't want inequality. We want all the, we want sustainable growth. I think the discussion that people are having now, which is a good thing, is what is the quality of that growth, right? Um, that's good. One thing I'll say, at least unemployment rates are trending down, right? And that's a good thing. I mean, people are working, right? We're not seeing wage inflation. We want to see some wage growth, right? We want to see people earning more. But, um, you know, the discussions are right to be had. What is the quality of that growth? So one of the things that I've started to think recently is, and this sounds like, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but um, Malcolm Turnbull was right all along um, that when he became prime minister and he had that utterly disastrous campaign, which was about um, innovation, that the argument there was Australia needs to unlock new sources of growth, develop new types of industry, all of that kind of thing. Now, it went down like a uh, lead balloon with the electorate because I think a reasonable assessment of it is when people hear disruption and innovation, they think about disruption to their own lives, um, which is not something that you want to vote for, right? Um, So they took some skin on that. They got back with a a single-seat majority. Um, But for me, I think when I look at it, it still is the case that the country needs new industry, uh, new types of growth. When when you look at the ASX, so this week, hovering around 5,700, 5,650, where it has been for a long time, I think it traded that back in 2007 um, at that level. Um, and uh, as we had David um, Cassidy from UBS on here a couple of weeks ago, he said the simple explanation for that is that um, there's not enough tech and too many banks and miners. So um, when you look at the economy and what's necessary to, to, um, to help deliver this correct kind of growth or this useful kind of growth, what do you think is missing? I've got to say, the word disruption's overdone. I mean, it's been disruption since mankind, right? We've always had disruption. I've, I spoke about this years ago. I think it's completely overdone. But I've spent recently a lot of time speaking to the new emerging, mar- emerging venture capital capital guys, Blackbird, there's Elaine at Blue Sky, there's uh, Paul Bassett at Square Peg. They're doing really interesting stuff. They are investing locally. They're finding really interesting. And there's more. There's lots of interesting stuff happening under the ecos structure that we're not seeing. And billions of dollars in. And billions of dollars. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Brandon, which is one that statewide's in, uh, Chris Nave and his team. So there's really interesting stuff. Biotech, tech, uh, food business, agribusness, uh, mining, you know, we, we're doing some interesting stuff. It'll come through. In the small cap space, there's also some really interesting small cap Aussie stocks doing interesting things. The problem we've got with tech is that if you're a really successful company here, you probably want to list on NASDAQ because there's a higher multiple. 
actually, I think the tech multiples are out of control. And I think some of the great tech disruptors, mate, they might be disrupted by a high-yield bond market when they raise <laughs> yes. rates in QT. I don't understand some of them. They've got $10 billion bucks of revenue and lose 3 or $4 billion bucks. Now, they're going to have to rely on capital markets to do that. One day, that's not going to be there. We'll see what happens, right? So, again, I think it's highly complex, non-linear, how this plays out. But there's some interesting stuff now being done in Australia, right? Mm. I think... I think just watch this space and hopefully over the next 10, 20 years, we'll see some really interesting people develop businesses. I would hope they listen in Australia, not on NASDAQ, but we can't control that. But let's see what plays out. What's the advantage of listing um, for the overall, in terms of overall economic, economic impact if you have more companies listing rather than staying private? Um, I don't think it matters. Right, I'm not going to be bashful. Whether it's corporate bonds, whether it's high yield bonds, whether it's a stock market, whether it's a private company, whether it's a private equity company, if people are creating business, employing people, who gives a shit where they're listed? Oops, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, that was Scuddy, by the way. <laughs> Dave, um, Dave, what do you make of all of it uh, and the, um, the this, these new signs that we're getting some kind of activity in the creation of new types of industry? Are we getting the signs? It's a it's a question. Like I I, I honestly don't see. You know, we we're talking about the stock market before. You know, these these behemoth banks and uh, you know, the big miners, and it just dominates the entire index. Um, I'm sure there's lots of small companies out there, but uh, you know, as we've discussed already, you know, so many of these uh, these companies can get be- better access to our capital markets offshore, uh, and then they're going to uh, skid out all there. Understandably. Um, the incentives have to be there to go and make it palatable to go and either list here or to go and nurture these companies so that they go and grow and stay in Australia. Um, primarily going to target uh, no, Asia in particular is going to be a big area where people should be focusing on in this country, given the time zone. Uh, but I really don't see too much emphasis at the moment. No, there's lots of like great little success stories that are there in the background, but nothing really is a holistic you know, sector perspective that's really exciting me at the moment. Mm. Can I just say, I think there might be a backlash against big tech too. And we're starting to see it in Silicon Valley in the US. You've got these really big tech companies, right? And there is a bit of a backlash. It's almost um, like the Wall Street backlash. There's some bad culture. There's some bad governance. There's some bad practices coming through. So, you know, you've got to be careful. I think um, there's over... Like, if you're a highly successful business, say in finance, and you're a highly successful tech company, for some reason the tech company is considered to be better, Right, but some of the stuff they do, is it better? Does it do? And I'm not going to sit there and say Wall Street's better or anything. But there is some backlash, and you saw that with Microsoft, late '90s, early 2000s. You're starting to see it now with some of the bigger companies. Hmm. So you know, just watch the space. And, and re- regulators coming after Google in in exactly, Europe, exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, people are now looking at it. In fact, probably since the GFC, what we're seeing around the world, we're seeing some really big winners dominating in many areas. That's not a good thing. You want a sort of a, a more competitive playing field. In the US, back in the days, they used to trust bust. They used to break these things up. Who knows what the future looks like? But, you know, if Google or someone has 95% share of the search market, uh, be careful. If Facebook is, you know, doing fake news and all of that, you know, they're, they're going to be held accountable, right? They're, it's a social thing as well, right? I mean, social media, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just look out. And, like, they, they do tend to be based in uh, basically in California and, and New York, Um and if you look at how the country voted uh, last year, basically there's, t- there's 
the, the California and New York are kind of their own parts of the country, um, and uh, everything else, um, the rest of the economy has, you know, manufacturing, retail. Um, Having lived in New York, mm-hmm. Manhattan, it was a, look, a little island of the America empire, <laughs> right? It's just different. And it was interesting. I was there earlier this year, so it's sort of, you know, Trump's in. And my American friends, whether they were, you know, the New York Republican, your typical liberal American Democrat, right, they were all depressed. They were like, my God. Traumatized. What? Yeah, right? So it's kind of interesting, right? You know, the world, I mean, people are speaking up. Yeah, yeah. It's um, look. It's a fascinating. It's an absolutely fascinating time. Uh, I think, and it, you know, a lot of it. Big part of the way I think about this is, you know, in a low interest rate world. Um, people with assets have become very wealthy because those assets have appreciated, and particularly if you bought, say, for example, stocks when they were in the toilet um, back in two thousand and eight. Uh, you have done very, very well if you bought the American index. Yep. Um, I think it's up something like 50%. Yeah. Um, well, so, well, we went 666, didn't it? Yeah, like that. the devil's number for, uh, and, for S&P. And now it's two and a half. But mind you, you know, people get hung up about the Australian All Lords being 5.7. The total return's actually higher because we have more dividends. But I'd say this. Imagine if rates in Australia were zero in the last eight, nine years. Where would the All Lords be? And we had a trade weight index, Aussie, which was, you know, 10, 20% lower than what it is. That's what we're talking about with the U.S. economy, what they had delivering that fuel to a, to a mammoth stock, uh, stock market yeah. rally. So you would have had a seven-hander on the all-lords, but if we had zero rates. Uh, we would have been popping the champagne corks. It would have yeah. been, yeah, all-time highs and all that kind of stuff yeah. that, you know, we watch all the rest of the countries uh, around the world seem to be doing. But, no, monetary conditions and financial conditions, more importantly, had a, a huge say in uh, how our index has performed as well. And as Con rightly points out, the uh, the accumulation index, you know, when you factor that in, it's uh, it's gone and broken through. I think it has gone through fresh highs uh, since the other uh, GFC. So that's uh, you know a little carrot we can go and plant to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Con, can I ask you about your um, outlook on rates at the moment, um, uh, specifically the the RBA cash rate? Yep. Um, so. Increasingly, the, um, I think there's uh, ANZ this week said uh, they think there's going to be 50 basis points in uh, increases uh, in next year. Um, I think NAB also um, takes that view. Um, there are still obviously some scenarios where you might see that you know um, there, there's a possibility for a cut at some point. If there's a problem, at least they've got the 150 basis points to play with. Um, but uh, do you subscribe to this view that rates are going to be higher next year? Well, first of all, why are rates going high? If rates are going high because we're creating employment, unemployment continues to go down, the economy's growing, we're seeing a little bit of wage inflation, we're seeing a bit of inflation, we're going from one and a half to two. Whoopie-doo, right? It's like we're talking 2% interest rate, right? Makes sense to me. I think that's fine, right? I think the big thing is where do the non-linearities kick in? When does who it gets, hurt? Who gets run over yeah, in that when, scenario? When does it? I don't know, right? Mm. I don't know when rates will go up, right? I mean, I mean, look at the Fed dot plots. No one knows. In fact, the market's had it more right because it's had inertia than the so-called gurus who have had constantly said higher rates, right? So I take rate forecasts with a bit of grain of salt. The fact of the matter is what happens next year at the time when they set interest rates and what it's, what's happening at the time, what their outlook is, they'll have a view. The market will have a view. The bank will have a view. The market will adjust to what the bank will do, right? Ultimately, the bank is king. Mm. Um, 
But it makes sense to me. Here we are today, if the economy continues to grow, if China doesn't blow up and the world's a good place, yeah, you could see 50 basis points, you could soak it up. Yeah, yeah. I suspect in that world, they are, <coughs> like you said, Scotty, the Fed goes up three times, so the interest rate differentials comes in. So, you know, like, you know, people saying the Aussie goes to 85, not whatever. I don't know, right? If they've gone higher than us and we've, they've hiked three times, we've hiked twice. Last time I checked, differentials will still come in. So the Aussie dollar may actually continue to fall on that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, Dave, what's your um, thought now? Because you're looking closely at all of these adjustments to the rate calls. Mm. Uh, what do you think? Oh, look, uh, you know, I think there's grounds for, uh, for rates to be left on hold and rates to go and rise next year. Um, I can see the case of both. Um, I think the key thing is going to be the labour market uh, tied into so many different areas, whether it's you know, household incomes, whether it's house prices, um, what happens in the labour market if we continue in the current trend? And look, let's be honest, the, uh, the, the jobs data recently has been nothing short of stellar. Um, I, I remember before I took off to, uh, to Singapore, I saw the, uh, the jobs figures come through before I switched off my phone. 54,000. Yeah, 54,000. Right? Yeah, Do we know. believe it? Hmm. Oh, I don't the, know. But the trend is good, right? It's yeah. been strong data now continuously, right? So you've got to take that, right? Yeah, Correct. I think some, somebody said, somebody pointed out that per capita basis, if if that was the US, it would be seven hundred thousand jobs created in a month in the United States. Yeah. Oh, look, take it as no. Everyone knows that the other uh, seasonally adjusted figures from the ABS are a, a little bit rubbery at time to time, and sure. highly influenced by you know the uh, the rotation group and the the unique qualities of the particular group. You no, know, is very uh, influential on what happens through yeah, with it's the sample uh, bias, right? Yeah, exactly right. But uh, no, but the trend's good. Yeah, the trend is good. And no, no one can go and say that it's it's not improving. Things are definitely improving. We've got other indicators such as job ads, vacancies are all you know, pushing high, which says that labour market conditions are improving. If that keeps going on, hike away. I think there's no problem with that. But if something was to go awry, and that's the big question, uh, you know, if the labour market were to start weakening, what would that go and do to incomes? I don't think it's going to make household incomes going boost anymore. I don't think it's going to go and help wage growth. I don't think it's going to help house prices. Mm. Um, if you put those factors into, you'll be starting to discuss you know, not only just actually you know, keeping rates on hold, but potentially a rate cut. Yeah. Now, either way, I can see there's a case of both, but I'm not going to go and predict what the labour market does. Things are looking very promising at the moment, though. Very quickly, is 85 cents too high for the for the odds? Because there's a lot of talk now that this is where it it's depends, going. It to... depends where terms of trade is. It depends where the economy is. Oh, I'm a big believer, I think Stanley Fisher says, your forecast is conditional on the set of conditions you're living in, hmm. right? So when the Aussie was a buck ten, things were right for the time. Would it go on? No, who knows, right? We were saying, we thought the Aussie would fall down. It feels a bit high today. You can model the Aussie. You can use interest rate differentials, VIX, and say, oh, and all run a little factor model on that. It's got interesting predictive, not much, but, you know, the, the fit's kind of cool. We've done a bit of work on that. Yeah, nice. It's probably high 70s, right, where it is here. So it seems a bit overvalued. But, you know, the Aussie currency is a technical thing, right? You know, the, the carry monkeys come in and they buy it, and then the value monkeys come in and they sell it. Oh, who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not monkeys, actually. It's actually a hard market, right? Do, do you do much uh, currency trading out of the fund? or is it just uh, We're assets? passive overlay hedging, so we slightly under-hedge the Aussie because we think we want to have more foreign currency exposure. It's got The Aussie dollar's got nice risk-return characteristics. 
when the world, if there's a shock, the Aussie falls a lot, and so you get a pickup. So you want to, and if the world does well, the Aussie rises, but typically international assets rise more. So it's got some nice risk return. I remember a couple of years ago, when I did, many years ago, when I did an asset consultant, was one asset consultant said, "You should be as much as possible and take the carry." Right? This is free, and the Aussie was like a dollar, and I went, "Yeah, mate, I'm not hiring you." Next, <laughs> classic academic. You're listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Our guest on the show is Chief Investment Officer at Statewide Super, Con Michalakis. Cryptocurrencies. What do you think, Con? Oh, my God. Bubble. I don't get it. Okay, I get it. It's got blockchain. It's got scarcity value. It's trendy. It goes from a buck to 5000 bucks. I get emails every day. You can break it down. You can. It stinks of a bubble. It smells of a bubble. It is legitimate. What are the three things of money? It's a store of value, a unit of account, a medium of exchange. Uh, I think it's a play thing at the moment. Yeah. I don't, nah, I the, don't get it. The really weird thing that's happening, and this has literally exploded in a matter of weeks, is initial coin offerings. Yeah. So yeah. We were, I get an email a day. Yeah. I know, uh, Vega coin. Um, yeah. I got one this week. Um, I got Eros coin the other day. I saw Eros coin. Yeah. Eros love sounds arousing. Yeah. Hello, Scotty. So <laughs> ch- ch- check this out. Look, there's been a 1.8 billion US dollars raised in initial coin offerings this year, right? Nobody's heard of any of these companies. Um, there's an ICO to build the world's largest aquarium. Uh, Hungry Jacks or Burger King has launched Whopper Coin, right? Um, and a lot of the purchases of these digital currencies, they're being bought with Bitcoin and other digital currencies. So no dollars are changing hands. It is a very, very weird situation. So someone's going to make a lot of money and a lot of people are going to lose their shirts. You reckon? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this feels like pets.com, right? Yeah. This feels <laughs> weird, right? This <laughs> is I don't know what the fundamental fundamental value of Bitcoin is. Bitcoin, Ethereum, this coin, Litecoin, that coin, Scuddy coin. Let's do Michalakis coin, right? I, re- <laughs> I reckon it's worth about minus 10 cents. I don't con- know. Con coin is a con good coin. Yeah, I like yeah, that one. That's yeah. It. yeah. The French version for con is bad news, though, but that, that's about right, right? So I, I don't. When you see that, when you see more, you see financialization, yeah. you see people, you. Uber driver, your taxi driver, people on the street, you know there's something weird. Bubble, bubble, bubble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's one example. Filecoin, right, which allows you to buy, you know, and this is not an entirely crazy one. I picked this out because it's something where you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I can see why there's a value attached to it, right? It lets you buy computer storage space on a decentralized (laughs) server network, right? So it just is a little credit that allows you to store your photos or, you know, um, your apps from your phone or whatever it is, right? Um, So it can be traded. um, uh, So it can appreciate in value and there might be... But uh, for me, I don't think that we're going to have a shortage of server storage space at any point in the foreseeable future. In fact server storage space is probably going to become just everywhere, right? So why would you buy some of that? Let me reverse yeah. Let me reverse the okay. argument. Would you be happy today to store meaningful amounts of your wealth in these cryptocurrencies? 
So th- this is what you would ask clients? Ask yourself that. Yeah. Would you do that? Do you yeah. trust it? Do you know it? What is it? And if the answer is no, then run. Yeah, get away from it. Yeah. Um, can I ask you quickly um, uh, just about – I just want to bring you back to one other little thing where there's um, always a bit of talk of risk, and that's Australian property. Um, we have covered rates, et cetera, the possibility for rates to take up, et cetera. But I pretty much always ask our guests where they think it's going to go because people love talking about it. I've been wrong it. for five, ten years. I don't get property. Uh, the, the running joke is I must be the only Australian Greek who doesn't like property, right? <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, I don't, uh, I've been wrong. I don't understand it. Um, I get it. People want a house to live in. I think that's really important. That's fine. But then gearing up, buying lots of property because the value's gone up, the rents are flattish to down, the yields, you, you know, you're putting down lots. You, you're gearing yourself 10 to 1. Um, you could see a 10, 20% fall on property. No one would blink. It would take you back to was, what, like a year or a half ago, two mm. years ago, when anyone who's bought in for investment property, they've Everybody's blown their dough, okay. right? Um, be careful. Yeah. Okay. It's a highly geared puppy that doesn't produce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe the population growth thing adds to it, but now China's put curbs, Australia's put curbs, uh, the marginal buyer... Uh, be careful. Yeah. Um, I, I must say, I think I mentioned this actually a few weeks ago on the podcast, but there was a, a, a moment when I drove back from Goulburn recently and you come off the M5 and you're driving through Canterbury into Sydney um, and there is a stretch of road a few kilometres long that goes through Ashfield uh, from Canterbury and um, it is all apartments. It is just apartment block after apartment block after apartment block. Um, for kilometres. And that's the first time I kind of looked around and went, just with your eyes, are telling you there is an awful lot of okay, supply here. So if that's because there's a lot of people moving to Sydney and they need mm. a place to live and rent, that's fine. Um, I get that, right? But if there is excess supply or if there's speculation on top of debt because it's moved, I don't think it ends well. Um, property is not marked to market, so you know you, you don't know drawdowns and you don't know what happens. But the history of this is never, never good, right? Mm-hmm. Highly levered investment doesn't matter if it's property, whatever. <coughs> One day it comes to haunt you. Can now I've been wrong on that for a long time, right? So you know I'll be honest with that. I think I've been surprised that property continues to go up. I get it in Sydney in this beautiful, nice location within ten, fifteen k's. Uh, houses are pretty. Rare people are beating them up, but Jesus, you know, you like you got to earn a couple of million bucks to pay off a mortgage now. Like last time I checked, not not everyone's running around um, with an Alan Joy salary, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you about then um, your broad investment strategy at the moment. Um, can I ask you about just about portfolio allocation? Uh, can I start with stocks? How yeah. So the my super yeah. option, which is our sort of the default all weather. Um, <laughs> has about uh, just under 10% cash, 6% bonds, 6% defensive alternatives, 50% equities, roughly 25 Aussie, uh, 25 global, actually a bit more global Aussie at the moment, and then some property infrastructure and then growth alternatives, which is venture, private equity, and absolute return funds. So we like to spread it out, um, probably spread it out even more. We think the world's a bit uncertain that diversification is a good thing. People say diversification is part of the... Uh, being ignorant. No, I, I disagree with that. I think diversification is a good all-weather strategy. Uh, 
you know, equity allocations for some funds are in the 60s. We've gone down from the high 50s down to the 50s. We've increased the cash a bit. <laughs> um, you know, which is financial a- assets are expensive today, right? Mm. We can have a debate what does that mean, but you just want to have diversification because I think that's what guides you through an uncertain world. The world's always yeah. uncertain, but you, you always get paid to take risk. Today, you're not really you, – you're getting in at full capacity. Yeah. Now, there are some pockets like value, traditional value investments, interesting. There, there is some interesting in, in the credit area. There could be some interesting distress stuff when that comes up. Uh, maybe venture capital might be interesting. I'm not sure with all this, you know, all this bubble of activity. But, you know, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, so let me just quickly on the – you said um, 6% in bonds? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and five, six, something like that. Yeah, yeah right. And um, so, w- regular listeners will know. W- I, I think a lot of, um, particularly uh, pension funds um, uh, for older Australians, are a little, little bit underweight bonds. We are definitely compared to the rest of the world, yeah. uh, where you see some countries uh, in pensions funds, there's something like thirty or forty percent uh, in, um, in 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 bonds. Um, how do you think about that? Uh, so in the, that was the accumulation scheme. So somewhere between 15, 50, 55, that, that works well. As they get older, specific, particularly if they're retired, we like to bucket them. And what we do is say bucket them, we'll have a good allocation of cash for a couple of years, a conservative option that has a lot less equities and something like a balanced option. And then you can rebalance across the buckets across the cycle. Mm. You also might have an annuity underneath that. So, And then you know some of them are... Uh, self-funded retirees, some of them have pensions. So you're kind of layering it to figure this out. My gripe is they developed this ridiculous name called SIPA, which is Comprehensive Income in Retirement Products, SIPA or whatever, right? There's no income. There's no I in the world. Where's the income? (laughs) Where's cash rates? We're at bond rates, right? And if you want to get high rates, you probably don't want to lend to the buggers because it's really high, right? They're distressed. There's no income. There's no income in this world. Don't pretend that, right? Yeah, right. And just quickly on stocks, uh, I know we're a little bit pressed for time, but quickly on stocks, um, you say 25% global equities. Now, do you buy direct stocks at all or do you just buy indexes? Uh, No, we have active managers uh, right. Active has been really good for us. We use fund managers, but we typically use global. Uh, so global develop or global equity, which is all country uh, world index. And then we have two specialist emerging market managers. And we'll let them sift around the world. We've got some value. We've got some contrarian, you know, interesting dudes. Yeah. Do, you, do you like ETFs as, a, as an investment product? We don't have any ETFs at the moment. Do you not like them? Uh, I think being a large fund, we can build portfolios with interesting managers. I don't need the vagaries of the ETF market to give me a bit off every day. Yeah, right. Um, look, you've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Um, fascinating chat. It would be great if we had a bit more time, but we do have to wrap it up. Uh, our guest this week has been Con Michalakis, uh, who's Chief Investment Officer at Statewide Super. Con, it's been great having you on the show, and next time we'll get on, we'll talk some heavy metal properly. Bloody oath. Heavy metal, yeah. This is the stuff. Thrash, grunge, all of that yeah yeah and the new Foo Fighters album which was uh, terribly underwhelming um, has <laughs> <laughs> uh, two good songs in it though uh, uh, and as always I've been here with David Scott who's back from Singapore it's been great to be back thanks Paul and thanks Con for a great chat cheers you can find us on iTunes where you can rate us and leave us a review we're on the web at businessinsider.com.au we're on Twitter at BIAUS you can all find us all individually on uh, Twitter too uh, I'm Paul Colgan and the show's being produced by Rick Salter we'll talk to you next time
This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.